May we never lose the wonder of you. May we never take for granted what you have given us, Lord. May every time we think about you and what you did on the cross, every time we think about that, may we stop and drop to our knees in thankfulness and say, oh, Lord, what a wonder you are. May it send, may it send chills up our back. May it, may it raise the hairs on our arm when we think about you and what you've done for us. We didn't deserve that mercy. No, you gave it to us freely. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you today after being uh, away for four weeks on a sabbatical. I want to thank you for giving me that opportunity uh, to be away. And uh, that's the longest by far of any time that I've been away in 22 years. And it was great to break that routine. And it's, it's good to be back. I was able to uh, visit some churches and learn from some other folks. I was able to uh, work on a book that I'm writing, a devotional book on Proverbs that uh, just doesn't make much progress until you can spend some time in uh, blocks of time. We're able to go to a, a workshop for pastors that Lifeway does. So it was a good Good uh, time for me, and uh, again, thank you for the opportunity, for your generosity in providing me that time as a congregation. And I want to thank our staff. we got a great staff, and I want to thank them. They, uh, amen, they, uh, they had to do all my work plus theirs, and I appreciate that so much. And I especially want to thank Jake, uh, who uh, did a great job with a uh, filling in uh, preaching and uh, putting together the small group studies during the month of uh, September. I really enjoyed the uh, sermon series on going all in. Uh, just about the time I was leaving is when we got it set up where we could do our services on Facebook Live. And so it was a, a treat for me to get to uh, watch though all of those sermons, uh, some of them live and then some of them a little bit later. And uh, so... Uh, we're excited about that, and uh, so there are people right now who are former members around our country and people who are homesick who are uh, watching this service live, and that's a great ministry. So hello, all you boys and girls out there in Facebook land. We're, we're glad that you are, are with us today. So if you are not able to be here or you're traveling or whatever, uh, you don't even have to be on Facebook. You just go to our church website. Uh, and there's a little F down at the bottom, and you click on that, and you can watch it on your phone or your computer uh, live or later on. Uh, so that's, that's a, a great opportunity uh, there. Uh, tonight, uh, it, uh, in our evening service, I'm going to be sharing a little bit about the Sabbath principle in your life. Some of the things I've learned from a sabbatical comes from the word Sabbath and what that can mean in your life. Wednesday night, I'm going to be beginning the uh, second half of the class that I usually teach in, in titled Introduction to Prayer and Bible Study. So we've done the prayer part. So if you want to join us just for this five-week class of how to study the Bible, how do I study the Bible so that I can understand what it means and apply it to, our, to my life, we'll begin that Wednesday at 6.30. But this morning, I'm going to begin a series of sermons for the next four weeks entitled Full, Finding a Fulfilling Life. Maybe you're here and you've sort of wondered if there was something more to life than just the rat race that you're in. You feel like you're sort of running on empty sometimes. Well, the Bible tells us how we can have a rich, 
and satisfying life. And I want to share that with you. What we're going to do for these next four weeks, each week we'll look at the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes because the subject of that book is the meaning of life. One of the big questions of our existence is, what's our purpose? What's the meaning? How do I find any sense of, of satisfaction in life? Why am I here? And Ecclesiastes asks those questions. Then we're going to go every week to the words of Jesus because Jesus answers the questions that Ecclesiastes raises. So let's begin. If you have your Bible or you want to watch on the screen, let's turn to the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. And verse 1 says, The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. So the person who wrote this book was the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And that's almost certainly Solomon. Solomon was the only son of David who ruled over all of Israel and Jerusalem. So Solomon wrote this book. Let me just tell you a little bit about him before we start looking at this text. Because Solomon had all of the stuff that most folks in our culture think will give you a rich and satisfying life. Solomon sat on a throne made of ivory with a footstool of gold. He inherited from his father David the kingdom of Israel and all of its power and prestige. Solomon even ate and drank with gold utensils, the Bible says, in his palace. Silver, eh, that was just too commonplace to use silver to drink out of. He drank out of and ate with only gold utensils. In fact, his yearly income, the Bible says, was 200 tons of gold. You think you might could make it on 200 tons of gold a year by yesterday's or Friday's closing price of gold. That's just over $1 billion a year, a billion with a B, in today's money. So that, he, he, was, he was rich. Uh, he, uh, some people collect cars today. Solomon collected horses. He had 12,000 horses. He was the richest man in the world. In fact, if you want to go back for just a minute before we look at Ecclesiastes, 2 Chronicles 9 details some of his wealth, and then it gives this summary statement in 2 Chronicles 9.22, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. He was the richest man in the world. And then on top of that, God had given him a special dispensation of wisdom, And so people came from all over the world to hear him and brought gifts to hear his wisdom. Verse 23 says, All the kings of the earth sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold, robes, weapons, spices, horses, and mules. Long before that guy on the beer commercial, Solomon was the most interesting man in the world. One of those who came to visit him was the queen of Sheba. And she was blown away when she saw his wealth, heard his wisdom, and she concluded, you and the people around you must be extremely happy. Let me read it to you in 2 Chronicles 9-7. Here's what she said, the queen of Sheba. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. But you know what? Solomon wasn't happy. And so we go back to Ecclesiastes with this background and see what Solomon wrote in this book 
about the meaning of life. What is the meaning of life? The very first word he says is the key word in the book. Pretty good when you read a book and they give you the first word what it's about. That's helpful, don't you think? Well, here it is in Ecclesiastes 1-2. Here's the meaning of life. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Some translations translate it pointless, futile, uh, empty. The King James translates it vanity. The, the word itself, this is the first of the three key words in the book of, of Ecclesiastes. It occurs by my count 33 times throughout this book. The root meaning of this word meaningless or vanity is a fog or a mist or a vapor. Got a picture I think that uh, we can put up here. I want to show you. Got a next slide. Um, one week in my sabbatical, Cindy was able to go with me. And uh, we went to, I got a cabin in near Pigeon Forge and uh, stayed there. And so I would write every morning for about five hours. And Cindy, so that she wouldn't disturb me, would go shopping in Pigeon Forge for about five hours every morning. And I soon began to think, I'm not sure this was a good plan. <laughs> and she'd come back in with bags and, and then we'd go do something together. But so this was my view every morning looking out as I wrote, and a uh, view of Mount Leconte and the valleys in front of it. And every morning almost would be this fog that would settle in those coves and valleys. And you couldn't see a thing down there. There was an elementary school down there, and I'd watch the parents dropping off their kids at school. But most mornings you couldn't even see it. It's just covered. But then in about an hour, hour and a half, it's burnt off, it's gone, it's forgotten about. What seemed so solid was gone. This is the word. This is the key word in the book of Ecclesiastes. This is what the word meaningless vanity means. Mist, fog, or as the message translates this verse, smoke, it's all smoke. That's what Ecclesiastes is about, that our lives, which seem to have substance and seem to be thick, evaporate so quickly and then they're gone and forgotten about and they're meaningless. He continues in verse 3, what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? You ever, th you ever have that kind of thought about the routine, the mundane work day? Verse 4, generations come and generations go but the earth remains forever. We're so impermanent here. Verse 5, the sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north and round and round it goes ever returning on its course. He's sort of saying life's just like a merry-go-round. It goes round and round like the wind blowing, but it doesn't get anywhere. Verse 7, all streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. All the streams flow into the ocean, but the ocean doesn't ever get full. It just keeps consuming. And he's really talking there more than about the ocean. He's talking about himself when he says it's never full. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Here's the second key phrase to help us understand the book of Hebrews, under the sun. We've already seen it in verse 3, and now again in verse 9. 
and it refers to life on this planet, earthbound life, life under the sun. By my count, 34 times in this book is the phrase under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun. Verse 10, is there anything of which one can say, look, this is something new. It was here already long ago. It was here before our time. No one remembers the former generations, even those yet to come, will not be remembered by those who follow them. How many of you have some memories of your grandparents? Would you just raise your hand? How many of you have some memory of your great-grandparents? Few. How many of you have some memory of your great-great-grandparents? Just what this verse says. Four, maybe five generations. Nobody's going to remember us. We don't remember the people gone on before. Verse 12, I the teacher, here's his conclusion, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that's done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Here's our third key phrase that helps us understand the book of Hebrews, a chasing after the wind. He says life is like chasing the wind. You ever tried to chase the wind? You don't accomplish a whole lot there, do you? Ten times in this book, the phrase chasing the wind. So all three key verses, this is the key verse, sums up the book of Ecclesiastes. All three key phrases are here. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are a vapor, a fog, vanity, meaningless. They are a chasing after the wind. This guy who had everything in life said it hasn't filled me up. It's a vapor. This is pretty depressing, isn't it? You don't want to read the book of Ecclesiastes when you're depressed. Don't, don't do that. If you're reading your daily Bible and you're down, just skip on over to the next book because this is a, this is a downer in this book. It, it really is. And you think, wow, this is depressing. And it really is. So what are we to make of this? Why is there, is there this book in the Bible that says that life is just meaningless? Well, our key phrase is under the sun there. This is an earthbound, on this planet view of life. If this planet is all there is, if our solar system is all there is, then life is meaningless. It's like chasing the wind. The good news is there is something above the sun. There's an eternal God who made the sun, who exists beyond our solar system, and who created us at the beginning for a relationship with Him. And in the original creation, He used to come down and walk with us in the cool of the day, symbolizing that fellowship and interaction with God for which we were made. But the problem, what has rendered life tasteless and colorless, is our sin. And our sin has separated us. We willfully chose to rebel against the Creator who made us for a relationship with Himself. And so now our sin has robbed us of the fullness of life that he wanted us to have. And the good news is that God has loved us and sent from above the sun, his son Jesus, to come down under the sun and become one of us in order that he might restore to us the fullness that God wanted us to have in life. So Ecclesiastes is a depressing but accurate picture of what life is like 
without a relationship to God, what life is like if this is all there is, no matter how good it gets, it won't fill you up. So now let's go to the words of Jesus. And let's see the one who was above the sun, who came under the sun, to restore us that relationship. And the I am statements of Jesus. In the Gospel of John, he records seven I am statements. That is, statements where Jesus said, I am, and then something that described his nature. And we're going to look at two of those this morning that directly relate to this question of meaning in life and fullness. So first of all, look at John chapter 6, verse 35. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Do you know that feeling that you have when you eat a good meal and you're full? Oh, I'm satisfied. You know, oh, that was great. Maybe after Thanksgiving. Jesus says, you want a fullness in life? You come to me and you'll never go hungry and you'll never be thirsty again. Uh, now, the problem with being full and satisfied is that it doesn't last, does it? Have you ever eaten a lot and you thought, I will never want to eat anything again as long as I live? Have you ever felt like that? I have. We were coming back, in fact, from, from Pigeon Forge, and Cindy and I stopped for lunch at Chili's. And she said, what are you going to get? I said, I'm going to get the lunch fajitas. They're $9.99. And then I saw it on the table there. There was one of those cards standing up. And it said, for $10, you get chips and salsa, lunch fajitas, and the hot molten lava chocolate cake. And I said, that's just a penny more. I'm going to get that. And I did. And I ate it all. And then I said, ow. And Cindy said, we got to get home. I don't have anything for supper. I said, oh, you don't have to worry about supper. I couldn't eat anything for supper. I'll never eat again as long as I live. And about 8 o'clock, I'm looking in the refrigerator, you know. <laughs> wonder what's in here? Have you ever been there? You done that? Jesus said, he takes that image that all of you understand, hunger and thirst. And he said, I'm the bread of life. And whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. He said this the day after he had fed the 5,000. You know that story? He went across the lake trying to go on a sabbatical. And the people would not let him. And they were, lot, they were not as nice as you. They ran around the lake and met him there when he got there. And he, he taught them, and he had compassion on them. They didn't have any food. It couldn't get back by supper to where they'd come from. So he took a little boy's lunch and multiplied it and fed them fish and bread. They, the next day, they hunted him down, came back around the lake, and he said this to them in the verse right before the one we've read. We're going to look at John 6, 26, just a few verses up. Jesus answered, Verily I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. He said, you just want the bread. And you don't get it that that's only going to fill you up for a while. 
but what I want you to understand is I'm the bread of life and I can fill you up forever. He said, folks, you're setting your sights too low. You want just what I can give you. And what I can give you won't satisfy you. What will satisfy you is me. And there are probably some of you here today who are setting your sights too low. And you're thinking, if Jesus would just give me that job, that car, that relationship, that whatever, oh, I'd be happy. And you're setting your sights too low. He's the bread of life. You know, I bet there's somebody here who's married and who's thinking about somebody else. And oh, that relationship would satisfy me. I don't know that, but I just know from enough counseling that when you get this many people together, there are people here who are thinking that other relationship, that would fulfill me. And Jesus says, no, that's just loaves. You're setting your sights too low. I can fulfill you, but it's not in answering that selfish request. It's me, he says. I'm the bread of life. How do you have that? That fullness where you never get hungry again. How do you have that? Well, he tells us, look at 635 again. He tells us very plainly, whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now we're going to explore throughout this month how to be full and we're going to dig deeper into this but here's the initial beginning point. The beginning point of having some satisfaction in life is to come to him and believe in him. That's pretty simple, right? But that simple response of coming to him and believing in him is the way that you will never go hungry and thirsty again. Let's look at one more of his I am statements. Another image, same content, different image. John 10, 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his friends. So here's the image, not of him being the bread of the life, but of also being that Psalm 23 good shepherd. I'm the one who can guide you and lead you through the valley of the shadow of death. I'm the one who can care for you and make you lie down in green pastures. Look at the verse before that, John 10, 10. The thief, in contrast to the good shepherd, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. That's the devil. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. You hear that? Solomon said, under the sun, the sea is never full. Jesus said, I made the sun. I came from above the sun. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. The word Full there, translated abundant by the King James Version, means exceeding the normal, means left over. Do you remember in the story we just talked about the feeding of the 5,000? Do you remember that when Jesus multiplied that little boy's lunch and fed all those people, he didn't just make enough to feed the people? Do you remember how much more he made? He made so much, I guess he's just showing off, he made so much that there were 12 basketfuls to spare or left over. Do you remember that? 12 basketfuls left over. The word left over in that miracle is the same word full here. 
the word to spare in that story, depending on your translation, is the same word full here. Jesus, I think, was anticipating what he would say. He was demonstrating what it is to come to him. You have life and life left over, life to spare. That's what he's offering. Exceeding the norm or the expectation. New Living Bible translates it, I have come that you may have a rich and satisfying life. You want a rich and satisfying life? Jesus says, that's why I've come. The message translates it, I've come that you may have a better life than you ever dreamed of. Wow. You want a better life than you've ever dreamed of? Jesus said, that's why I came from above the sun to below the sun to give you that kind of life. If you'll come to me and believe in me. Now, let's talk for just a minute about what does that mean? What would it really mean to have to never be hungry in our souls, to have a, a life that's full and satisfying? Does this mean that you don't have any problems? No. In fact, what the New Testament clearly says, if you follow Jesus, you will not be exempt from any of the problems of the world. In fact, what you will have is some additional problems because you will be persecuted for your faith. So your outer circumstances will not necessarily improve among the other people of the world and you'll have an added opposition because of your faith. So how in the world is that a full life? Because here's the deal. Last thing. Our view of fullness is outside in. That if I could make a little more money, get a little better boyfriend, have a little better car, then I'd be happy on the inside. Our view of fulfillment is the things from the outside will fill up what's on the inside. But the biblical view of fulfillment is from the inside out. That even if your circumstances don't change, there is the bread of life that fills your soul. There is the leadership of the good shepherd that gives you from the inside out a rich and satisfying life better than you could have ever dreamed of regardless of those outside circumstances. Would you be willing to change your whole orientation to fulfillment and to happiness from the outside in? Oh, I've got to have this and it'll fill me up to Jesus' view. If you'll come to me and believe in me, you'll never grow hungry. You'll never thirst. And I'll give you a life that is full. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, I pray for anybody here today who might feel sort of empty. And I pray that they will come to you and believe in you, Jesus, and that you will fill them to the full from the inside out. I pray, Lord, for those of us who keep, even though we know Jesus, we keep thinking that other stuff will fill us up. Forgive us. Help us to get reoriented back to your way of fulfillment. So change our thoughts and our heart 
that we may find our fulfillment in you, O bread of life, O good shepherd. We pray in your name. Amen. Would you stand together?